Welcome to EdSource Radio, where we talk about the latest developments in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, with Editor-at-Large John Fensterwald. John, another week? And actually, we're going to start with some relatively good news. John, you were looking into the financial health or the financial prospects mm-hmm. of California's districts. There are about a thousand districts. So that's right. And these latest figures came out. That's right. Or and, they they will come out very soon. These are preliminary figures of the the financial health of California districts. They do it several times a year, and in the latest report, only thirty nine districts said that they would be in financial stress this year and the following two years. That's so that's a low number, a little higher than the, slightly higher than the last report, but it's pretty low, as you said, a thousand districts. Financial stress, you mean like essentially in three years from now, if they continue in the same path, they might have some difficulties down the road. What, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it's, it's technically defined as whether you're negative, which is whether you can pay your bills this year and next year. We're in the middle of the current year and then the next year and then qualified it's called is whether or not you will be able to accumulate a reserve the state mandated minimum reserve in two years or you will have trouble paying your bills and that's not a lot of districts you know in the time of the recession back five years ago there were 176 districts that said qualify so on the surface at least it looks like good news so let me just ask you also because these are so-called qualified districts. Now, the worst category you can be in is if you have a negative rating. That's right. You can't pay your bills this year or next. This year or next. Right. And that's only one district. It's a small district in San Luis Obispo County. So on the one hand, Luis, it does look like a great positive news. On the other hand, this much we know. The governor came out in January with a kind of a pessimistic fiscal outlook for next year, for budget is for next year, only enough money going to districts to basically cover their pension costs, not even cover their increase in pensions. So we know there's going to be some some difficulties mating their basic funding needs over the next two years. So the question is, do districts have a real handle on this, or are they hoping that the governor's May revised budget will come out with couple billion dollars more. Maybe some districts are counting on that. Or maybe, you know, we're entering a time of transition, whereas the last three, four years, we're used to big increases in school budgets because of the resurgent economy. And now we're entering to a what's sort of a transition period where we can't expect that much money. And the question is, how are districts, will they adjust to this? Okay, well, we'll come back in a few months to see when this final ratings come in. Absolutely. After the May revised budget, we can talk again. We'll know a lot more. Okay, great. So, so Lewis, this week you issued, a, you wrote about a big report on full-day kindergarten and preschool. So what of importance did you find in, in that? EdSource put out a report on where things stand with full day versus part day or half day kindergarten and preschool. Now, this may seem like a somewhat obscure topic, but actually it's rather significant that they found that kids who attend full day preschool or full day kindergarten actually do better. We don't have long longitudinal studies that show that kids do better in college if they go to full day versus part day, but kids seem to advance academically better prepared when they're in kindergarten, and certainly it seems to make a difference in the early grades. What we found is that 
actually, there are two different issues here, but related. On the preschool level, for subsidized preschool, the California State Preschool Program, that the state, the legislature is on record as saying this is a priority. They want to move kids to have, all, all kids should have access to full day preschool. And uh, the legislature has been putting in quite a bit of money into this, but actually most kids, the majority of kids are still in part day programs. These are low income kids who qualify for these hard to get slots that the state funds. On the kindergarten level, schools are not required to actually provide full-day kindergarten. It's a surprise, isn't it? Well, actually, not to complicate things, it's actually not even mandatory for kids to attend kindergarten in California. It is mandatory that school districts have to provide these classes. I see. So um, it turns out that the California has been making progress. We are still behind 19 other states that offer longer kindergarten programs. We have been making progress. We estimate that about 30% of kids in California are still attending half-day kindergarten classes. And how's the, whole, how's the funding holding up uh, on a state level? Well, part of the problem here is that both with preschool and with kindergarten, the way the state funds these different programs favors half-day or part-day programs. With On the preschool level, the rate at which these local providers are reimbursed or school districts are reimbursed, you actually get more money for half day per hour than you do for full day. That's an inequity that should be somehow fixed. Right. On the kindergarten level, school districts get paid for a full day rate, even if they offer a half day program. If they want to offer full day programs, that involves extra teachers, they need extra classroom space, that they have to find the money somewhere in their school budget. It doesn't come out of the ADA, the average daily attendance funding, which is the way kids are funded. So that also doesn't encourage districts to provide full-day kindergarten. Well, we know that for many parents, they really need full-day preschool or kindergarten, right? It's not always easy to leave a child for three hours and come back. Well, that's true. But actually, even full-day, John, isn't actually full-day. It's a minimum of four hours of instruction. So let's say you start at 8 o'clock and gets out at about 2 o'clock. That still means that the parent, if you're working full-time, you're going to have to find other care for this for your child when the class gets out. And that actually applies to all elementary grades. So full-day, though, is even not, not really sufficient to meet the needs of working parents. But certainly half-day or part-day programs make it even more difficult. Well, it's complicated, complex, and I'm sure it readers would benefit by reading the report itself to have all these terms explained. Well, it's on our website, and uh, we think it is an important issue that the legislature really should be paying attention to. Turning to another subject, Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. We've been following what she's been saying, trying to read the tea leaves as to what she's going to do in her new job. So, so this week, she had an appearance. I think she made an interesting comparison, I hear. Lewis, what was that all about? Well, she, she went to a, an event at the Brookings Institution where Russ Whitehurst, who used to work for the, the Bush administration, came out with an annual report on school choice programs, the growth of school choice, and they ranked all of these programs, rate states based on how far along they are in terms of school choice programs. So she gave the most extensive remarks, I would say, on school choice. Obviously, this is something they are still pushing. This is not going to go away. 
But basically, she was comparing the choice that parents should have to the choice that consumers have when they decide between Uber and Lyft and a taxi, or when they decide to pick a hotel room through Airbnb or or a regular hotel. Um, what do you think of that analogy? <laughs> it seemed a little simplistic, uh, because obviously choosing a school is a lot more complicated than picking between a ride service and a taxi. Although that was precisely a point. She was saying that if consumers have choices for something as basic as how to get from point A to point B, they should, they should have more choices for something as fundamental as where your kids go to school. But, it, but at the same time, it did seem to gloss over a lot of the complexities. Uh, I will say that Russ Whitehurst, in his remarks, did point out that while there's huge growth in school choice in many states, this is not a panacea. And uh, you can have good school choices and you can have bad school choices. So, in fact, he did ask her, there was a Q&A after her, her remarks, he asked her about how do you hold these schools, private schools, also charter schools, but how do you hold them accountable? And uh, she really didn't have a very good answer. She initially said, well, it's the parents would hold them accountable, but didn't say how they would be held accountable. And then she did say something about, well, they have to release their test scores. Now, you know, California is trying to assess schools on much broader measures than tests. That may not be the best way to hold schools accountable, but it is also true that private schools are not required to release test scores. That it would be something to pursue, whether she would be serious about requiring private schools to release the test scores of their students. It'd be interesting whether, whether private schools are even interested in taking the money if that were the, they were required to give the tests. Speaking of test scores and accountability, Lewis, uh, that brings up to me the California School Dashboard. And that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking at. And the in dashboard the... is that the display that they came up with the different colors that measure school districts on different Exactly different measures. right. More test than... scores, dropout rates, etc. Yep. yep, graduation rates, suspension rates, more than just test scores. And it's all in colors from red to blue, five different colors. And one of the things I'm looking at is to the numbers of schools and districts that were in each color and how they got to be that way. And I'm finding some interesting things. Finding really that when you design a system like this for several different purposes, one is for accountability purposes to assign assistance to low-performing schools, those that are in red and orange. It's a little different than if you're designing it to inform parents as to how their schools or districts are doing, what we've discovered is, in fact, in order to understanding that there's limited capacity to provide schools with county and state assistance, the state really limited the numbers of oranges in reds and rated some schools yellow that logically probably should have been orange. And so it really brings in the question of what is the purpose and how do you provide this information, and, and it's a little bit of contradictions there, which we're, we're going to explore. So, Lewis, what else should we be looking for in EdSource in the coming week? Well, actually, a couple of uh, interesting stories underway. Uh, Furman Leal, who is based in uh, L.A., has been looking into the teacher shortage, particularly in rural districts. The situation is not good because, uh, as you can imagine, 
small school districts often can't provide the benefits, the salaries that larger school districts can, and not that many people want to live in remote areas of the state. So recruiting is just a major problem. Look for that story from Furman this week. Good. Furman's colleague, Larry Gordon, who's been covering post-secondary issues, is going to be taking, really, I think it's the first look at how the student success initiative at the community college level has been doing. About five years ago, Governor Brown signed this success student success legislation that triggered a bunch of reforms. And so we're taking a look at how this is working out. Great. A lot to look forward to in EdSource next week and a lot to talk about. And I think we've come to the end of our time. I'm Lewis Friedberg with John Fenstewald. For more information on these and other topics, go to our website at edsource.org. Thanks for listening.